You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. All right, back at it with another episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download. However, you have found this here podcast. It is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by one, a professional development pod that dives into the tips, tricks, story, tips, tricks, stories, experience process and preparation, sometimes I forget, of some of the biggest and best names in the play-by-play industry. Uh, my name is Joel Gadette. I'm the television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. You can find the pod on social media at PXPCast. I am at Joel Godet, or you can email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at uh, B-S-U dot E-D-U. I actually heard from a listener this past week who lives in California and had a love for play-by-play growing up, and hopefully he's okay with me sharing um, this publicly, uh, but had a love for play-by-play growing up and uh, is now uh, much older and fully grown as an adult and kind of nerds out on uh, play-by-play and the industry and the field and some of the stories with us every week and uh, enjoys diving into uh, all the conversations that we have. So... What's cool to me is the amount of ways and or people um, that you can hear this podcast, perceive this podcast, learn from, enjoy this podcast, and uh, how it can uh, help entertain, inform, whatever it might be, uh, however it might play a role in your life. I appreciate all of you uh, for joining us this week. If you missed last week's episode with Courtney Lyle of ESPN, uh, please do go check it out. She was an awesome guest. I also found out... um, and the podcast is listened to now more than it's ever been, which hopefully is how these things work as, as they grow over time. Uh, but I get the, the top 10 episodes listened to per month. It's one of the statistics I have. One of the top 10 episodes listened to over the last month is episode number four, for whatever reason. Uh, episode number four with Ben Holden from the CBS Sports Network. So I use that as a way just to say, hey, if you're new to this podcast, if you're one of the people that has helped raise it up to its level that it's at currently right now, but you were not with us more than three years ago when we started, uh, do take the opportunity to go to, to go scroll back through the archives because there were some really uh, interesting people that we spoke to way back at the beginning. So if you've just seen this podcast recently and you're looking at, you know, the last couple of months, it's going to be some awesome guests. You're going to get some awesome information and some cool stories. Um, but if you go back to the very beginning, Carter Blackburn was episode number one, Adam Amin, Joe Davis. Uh, they were very early episodes. Um, a lot of people that have changed career paths or their trajectories have just taken off were some of our early guests. Uh, Alex Faust of the LA Kings uh, was not in the NHL when he was a guest on this podcast. So go back and check out some of those early episodes. There's still a lot of good stuff back there as well. Don't uh, don't necessarily let those linger. And uh, I know you haven't because uh, obviously 
a good chunk of you have found Ben Holden's episode um, over the last couple of weeks. All right. With that being said, let's talk about um, somebody new. Andrew Allegretta is our guest this week. He is the reigning, defending, undisputed state broadcaster of the year from Virginia. He's the former women's basketball voice of the Virginia Tech Hokies, baseball voice as well, sidelines for football, uh, all sorts of other things, digital media with Virginia Tech, uh, an award he will be ineligible to win this next year because he doesn't live there anymore. Uh, Within the last month, Andrew Allegretta has become the voice, or a little bit more than the last month now, has become the voice of the Tulane Green Wave. So I wanted to have Andrew on to talk about his transition from his old role to his new role and what it's like becoming uh, a member of the very exclusive club of FBS football play-by-play announcers. Andrew Allegretta is our guest this week on PXPCast. So uh, how's, how is New Orleans, by the way? We'll start there. Because I, I, I understand this was the, the first time you ever set foot there was the like a month ago. Yeah, so what ended up happening, um, and I guess this was a smart thing to do, um, <laughs> when, uh, when I found out I was in a final grouping, so not necessarily like at the end of the line, but that I was in a final grouping, I cashed in some airline miles and I just flew down for 24, 48 hours and explored the city. So uh, I got a little bit of a vibe that way. And I've certainly over the past month or so been able to get a vibe of New Orleans. It's a cool city. man. It's um, it's interesting. It's unique. It challenges the way that you see normal cities. Um, but they have an attitude, um, a mentality down here that's incredibly uh, enticing and engaging and let the good times roll, right? They say that all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, to, to be in a place that has that sort of let the good times roll vibe and Zion Williamson is down here and Tulane is doing good things athletically and of course the Saints are the heartbeat of the city so uh, there's a lot going on um, so there, there's a lot to love about New Orleans. Okay so this is like how to apply for a job or audition for a job 101 um, what did you what did you do when you just like up and went to New Orleans like what what inspired you to do it why was it important um, and, and what did you take away from that experience that wound up being integral to or, or helpful in your process? Yeah. First off, I only did it because I was sitting on enough airline miles <laughs> that I could cash it in and have it not be a financial burden. So, so yeah, don't take this out of context. Always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand that like flying across the country to see a city before you take a job is not always uh, feasible for people. Uh, but for me, it was very much, um, is this a place that me and my wife are going to want to live. Are we going to be happy here? Can we find pockets of this city that we feel like we connect to? Um, so I didn't do too much really related to the job, right? I wasn't like necessarily investigating whether the press box has X, Y, and Z. Um, I wasn't investigating like, oh, I don't know, budgetary concerns or, or whatever. Um, it was more like, okay, where am I going to live? Um, what is this city like? Um, what about this neighborhood or what about that neighborhood? Um, so I explored that. Like I didn't just stay on Bourbon Street or in the French Quarter the whole time. I mean, I stopped by, right, because I had never been. Um, but then I left and I went and saw Uptown, which is where Tulane is. And I walked around their campus and their quad, uh, and just got a sense of the city and the vibe and the whole thing. And then I went out to some suburbs like River Ridge is not too far from here. Um, parts of the city, like Lakeview, um, up by Lake Pontchartrain. Um, I looked for things that 
I knew my wife would like, she likes to be able to, um, you know, get outside and walk and bike and all that kind of stuff. And you found little neighborhoods that might make her happy there. And, um, she likes these kind of restaurants. Can I find those kind of restaurants? So, um, you know, it was, it was a crash course in 24 hours. Um, and I talked to plenty of people along the way, uh, and kind of figured out how well I could mesh with this city. Um, the opportunity was obviously really good. Um, and once I felt comfortable enough, uh, from a cityscape for both me and my wife, then it was, let's go, let's do this. Um, take me back to even before that, uh, just from the idea of, all right, your, uh, for how many years were you at Virginia Tech? Eight. So you're, you're at Vodtech for eight years. You've been a women's basketball voice and a baseball voice. You've been involved in football and you've been obviously around the digital stuff with the ACC network now and you feel ready. Uh, what about Tulane and that city and that job and that opportunity jumped out at you as well as not just the fitty, the, the, the city is a fit or the, or the fitty is a sit, um, <laughs> why, why the city is a fit, um, but also why that job is hey, this is an opportunity I feel like I could go after as opposed to like it's a job and I feel like, sure. I think and I feel like it's the next step up. I think one thing that stood out throughout the hiring process, um, right, so you said even before all of that, um, I think for me things became crystallized during the hiring process when I got to know, um, you know, some of the administrators, the athletic director, Troy Dannon, um, the external affairs director, Jana Woodson down here, Monica LeBron, who is essentially the number two in charge, what their mentality is, um, where they are with Tulane athletics. It is a place that feels like it is trying to move itself forward. It's a place that obviously had struggled on the field for a number of years. There's great history and tradition here. Um, they went undefeated in 1998 in football. Mac Brown was a coach here. They were fantastic back in the thirties and forties. So not to say that there's no history, but it was a history that the ship was time trying to turn here uh, in uptown New Orleans. So the fact that they had that mentality of wanting to bring in a bunch of um, high energy, forward thinking, um, respecting the tradition, but at the same time moving the thing forward um, kind of fit with where I was professionally, right? So I'm trying to um, elevate my skill set. I'm trying to elevate my abilities within a job like this. Um, and that very much aligned. And that's not to say that this is just a learning experience, right? That's not a fair way to phrase it either. But it is something that you feel like is a bit of a blank slate to an extent, right? You have the ability to come in and look at the opportunities. Where do we respect tradition? Where do we respect the past? And how do we find ways to elevate what is happening here? And here's your paintbrush. You take a stab at drawing something new, part of the Tulane culture. So when I found that out, um, I really felt like it was probably a good fit at the right time, with the right people and the right opportunity uh, to really go 100% for it. It was a very holistic approach um, yeah there you go how did how did you pitch that uh in in the process because you know it's funny I, we've had this conversation several times where maybe i feel like it's not as much of an anomaly as as we think it is but uh so often you get into like the we need our guy and we want someone who understands ball state or Tulane or 
insert school. I mean, like the, the first time I had ever set foot, not on campus, but in the city of Muncie was the first day they paid me to be here. Um, right. So like how, what was your pitch along those lines of saying like, Hey, I, I fit into your message, even though I, I don't know it yet, so to speak. Yeah, sure. I think probably what's frustrating for some folks that may listen is the fact that some of this stuff isn't necessarily in your control, right? Um, do the stars align? Does the right fit at the right time happen? Uh, and that's deeply frustrating. I don't know that I had to pitch too much of it. I think all I needed to say is um, I feel like I'm at a growth and inflection point personally. And they echoed the fact that they were at a growth and inflection point athletically within the department. And it seems like this is a good fit together. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a lot of pitching that needed to happen. Now, if, if they had a different mindset, I probably am not a candidate at Tulane, which isn't a fault in mine. It's not a fault of theirs. It's just, man, circumstances, mentality, timing, what somebody is looking for, those things matter a whole lot in the hiring process. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to Tulane, it just happened to be the right fit at the right time, which is frustrating, right? Like people want to hear like, well, I can pitch myself like this <laughs> and this resonates with this Pearson. And then all of a sudden here we are. Um, and I could make the same pitch to somebody else and they would have gone, eh, I'm not sure that that's us right now. Um, so that makes it really challenging. Now, um, you obviously has to kind of, you have to, um, line up yourself and your resume and your skill sets so that when the right fit happens, you are positioned appropriately. And that might be a whole nother conversation. Like I could have the same conversation about what Virginia tech was looking for eight years ago when they brought me in. Um, they could have gone when they brought in when they brought in John laser for sure. Or when, Ball State hires you or when um, Washington hired Tony Castricone or any number of these things or or when the New Orleans Pelicans hired Todd Graffinini to replace Sean Kelly. Um, there's any number one of these dominoes that has to happen. And it's really frustrating uh, from a professional standpoint because you want to be able to go out there and attack things. Um, and I think you should do all of those things. But it's it's a combination effect from a hiring standpoint where you do everything in your power to set yourself up so you are a fit when the right opportunity happens. How did you approach it once you got it um, in terms of, you know, I, 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 like I, I know you've I've read and I've, I've heard you talk about wanting to sit down with Todd or, or wanting to sit down mm -hmm. with other people that have been around the program that know about the program. Like I remember when I first got here, um, I would probably do it differently now at 32, a little bit older, a little bit more mature than I did when I was 25 in terms of, uh, and knowing the situation I walked into, I would do it a little bit differently now than I handled it when I first got here, just in terms of like, like the guy, one of the people that was up for the job when I got here wound up also being on our broadcast crew. And it was just, it was, it was a different um, circumstance. Uh, what is your approach in terms of, uh, learning from the guy that comes before you and um, uh, learning about the, the institution and, and all of those things and kind of ingraining yourself into that so that uh, you become one of them. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there and it's all, I think, <laughs> significant. It's all significant. It's all significant for sure. Um, I think you start with the fact, at least in my case, I was hired 
um, with about two to three weeks to go until kickoff. Um, so that presented a number of challenges in and of itself. Like so first, first things to, first, learn this team. Yeah. Well, well, or, or, um, and I mean this in the most positive possible way, learn the team, but have grace for yourself that you're not going to know everything right. specifically. Like I'm not going to know what happened in the third game of the 1998 season when Tulane eventually would go on to have a perfect season. I'm not going to know about X all of all American from the thirties and forties when they were in their heyday. Like I went in giving myself some grace. I want to make sure I know who Justin McMillan, the quarterback is and Bradwell, the running back is and what their story is and what's Willie Fritz's history and what has he been able to do with this team and this program, right? Like you, you consume as much as you can, but you also have to give yourself some grace because that's not going to happen from an actual getting on the air standpoint. I placed a really high priority on learning the, the mechanics of their setup, their gear, who's on my crew, how have they done it before? Um, it was a short turnaround to the point where I wasn't going to, nor did I want to make some sort of drastic change with anything. Um, I think it was really significant for me to learn about this place and why they have executed it the way they've executed it for the number of years that they have executed. And part of that was getting to know Todd Graffinini. And I wanted to get to know him. He was really important to me. He still has been important to me. I probably would not have gotten on the air um, in our first game against FIU if it was not for Todd Graffinini. Like we took a whole day and just sat down in the booth and said, this is this, this is that. We went over to our coaches show location. He introduced me to the folks over there and said, we normally set up this, we normally set up that. And I said, all of that is great. Like, I think from a new guy perspective, right. You know, I walked into a fairly established crew and that can be challenging. Right. Um, and they've been incredibly warm and welcoming. So you have to have willing partners, but not everybody's going to have the same situation. Like some people are just going to say like, all right, here's the new guy jump in with the ship and let's go. And these guys have been really good about helping me get onto their ship. And I've had willing partners in that regard. And, you know, I wanted to meet people and understand people uh, more than anything. I just, I told this to somebody else yesterday in another podcast, like to me, learning the culture of a program is not flipping through the back of the media guy to know all of the All-Americans that they've had. That's part of it. But like, I want to hear the stories of, we've got a group called the Greenbackers down here, and they haven't missed a tailgate opportunity in essentially forever. I want to hear their stories. I want to know about what their feelings on the program are. I want to know about where Troy Dan and our athletic director is at mentally with this program. Um, I want to talk with our color analyst a whole bunch, Steve Berrios, who's a Hall of Famer here. I want to know his vibes. I think. Um, connecting to a program is not reading a media guide. It's, it's meeting as many people as possible. And I've got a long way to go in that regard, but I certainly placed a priority on understanding the mechanics of our operation and learning about this place and not trying to prejudge anything i just wanted to soak information and as we go through time i'm sure there's going to be some things that i personally like we talked about will want to do to put my you know brush stroke on this two-lane painting metaphorically speaking but for early on I, I think i need to know what i'm working with and learn about this place and appreciate this place for everything that it is before i start doing any of that stuff so that was my high priority 
uh, how uh, how did it feel? Like how what what ran through your your body when you walked out into the press box, walked out into your booth um, for the first time, week one? The job is fun, right? Like you can't let that go. Um, I think I walked out with a tremendous amount of um, desire and energy and passion to continue to get better. Um, these sound like canned remarks, but it's true, <laughs> right? Like I hadn't the leap of faith that Troy Dan and, and Jana Woodson and Nathan Hubble, our general manager here at uh, the two lane sports properties took with me is I'm not someone that had done play by play for football um, in really some heavy lifting extent in a long time. I spent a season at Charleston Southern doing their football games, but that was back in 2010. Um, I did the Mac championship game for IMG uh, in 2017. And I've made some tapes at tech games over the course of the years when I didn't have sideline responsibilities. So they took a leap of faith on me. And I think what I owe them is an awareness that I'm not a finished product and that um, I'm going to continue to strive to make our broadcast. And that includes me uh, as good as I possibly can make it. So I think I left the booth, you know, validating the fact that I really like my job and I'm comfortable with the career choice that I made. (laughs) Uh, It's a ton of fun and that I want to continue to get better with it. What, uh, what, shocked you or excited you or uh was reassuring to you about doing football um for the first time in a like knowing there would be a week two uh when when you showed up when you showed up week (laughs) one like what what about it was like all right bookmark this for next week or hey like this went better than i thought it did or hey this went exactly how i remembered it um from you know when i've last done done this sport yeah, the, the validation and the comfort in knowing that there's a week two is really nice, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that's really, really nice. Uh, there was some little things from, oh, goodness. I remember walking out of the booth uh, thinking, like, you're a moron. Why did you not go purchase a better pair of binoculars early on? <laughs> like, you're so stupid. Wide angle, uh, wide angle. Wide angle. And for week two, going to Auburn, I made a purchase of a wide angle pair of binoculars. And that was significant against Auburn at Jordan Hare a week ago. Um, So that made a big difference. Um, I walked out of there saying I need to get better at name recognition, right? Like I knew it would be significant and I put time into it, name and number recognition. Um, But, you know, the realities of a two lane broadcast crew versus a West Virginia broadcast crew or Virginia tech is, um, you know, you don't necessarily have the army of people like what Tony Caridi has like two different spotters, right. For offense and for defense. And he's got statisticians and this and that as well. He should, uh, but at two lane, your crew is going to be a little bit different. So we have a, a great spotter and he helps me out. Uh, but, I've got to be able to do some more heavy lifting on my own. So um, I made a real point of emphasis for that against the Auburn game. And I think that was a huge reason I walked out of Jordan Hare feeling a lot more comfortable about week two than week one, uh, because I was able to find some potholes, metaphorically speaking, um, in my broadcast from the week prior. You have a spotter? Yeah. <laughs> Do you not? No, I, I mean, it depends on the... No, not really. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing too, right? Like, uh, and and I, I seriously think for people going into new situations, it's worth giving yourself a lot of grace because um, while there were things that I was pleased and disappointed in, in week one, I also said like, this is the first time I'm working with this spotter, or this is the first time I'm working with this statistician or this color analyst. Like, it's not going to be like we've been working together for 20 years. Like there's going to be mistakes and that's okay. It's just a matter of being aware of them and getting better in week two, which uh, I really feel like we did and fingers crossed tomorrow um, against Missouri state. It'll be better than Auburn. Um, how quickly did you listen back? Um, I think I gave myself 24 hours worth of decompression and starting on Auburn charts. And then probably by Monday or so, as I was working more on Auburn charts, I had it going in the background. Um, I certainly listened to some highlights and said, eh, you know, that's good. That's bad. Um, I busted that call. Some of it, you know, before you even get out of the booth. Um, so, uh, probably within 24 hours, if my memory serves by Monday, I was going through it. Um, like what, what did you like or what didn't like, you know, I, what, how did, how did it strike you? It struck me fine. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I was more consumed with like, I was more consumed with my ability to pick up the flow of football play by play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just different, uh, doing so much baseball, doing so much basketball solo, um, kind of knowing when to get in and out of the play, what to say when you're in and out of the play, how to make sure your color analyst is effectively involved, how to make it not this stiff, robotic play-by-play coverage, which a lot of my game on, I guess it was the 29th of August, was very kind of stiff in my opinion because I was just trying to like, okay, you know, the thing that, you know, you and I went to Syracuse and I remember, I'll always remember Dan Horne sending me something that says, you know, the foundation is who has it, where do they have it, and what do they do with it on a repetitive cycle. And I was kind of caught up in that more than I would have liked to be. Um, not that it's a bad thing. It's the foundation. Like you've got to have life and personality and a heartbeat. As long as you um, say snap, so, you know, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there was plenty of snap or whatever. <laughs> that was God, they drilled that one into our head at WAER. Um, <laughs> I remember that one, but um, yeah. So I wasn't like disappointed in myself. I just said, okay, this is where we are after week one. And, and this is what we're going to do to try to be more human in week two and be better with the flow. What have you learned about uh, stepping into that or those shoes of being kind of the number one as well. And I guess the differences you've encountered uh, going from being part of a department to kind of being the guy. Yeah. So there's really little things that I've picked up on Um, a lot more radio interview requests than I've ever done before. (laughs) Uh, And that's a great thing. Like that's part of it, right? No, it's like in all seriousness for, for an athletic department and for a program for your strat palm people, strategic communications people for your athletic director. They want to get the message of your athletic department out there as much as possible. And if you can be of assistance in that, that's a really good thing. So I don't take them lightly. Um, and I've said yes to every single request that I've gotten so far. Um, but, um, the awareness of kind of how your day goes 
and the things that will funnel its way into your inbox uh, makes you more aware of time management. And, um, you know, I think I've been very fortunate where primarily so far the athletic department and then Mirfield IMG hasn't really asked me to do too, too much outside of call the games. Um, so I've been lucky in that regard, but you know, you definitely have an awareness of, of how your day is going to go hour by hour, uh, and how you have to be effective in those things or, um, other things you're going to have to pick up logistically, like when traveling on the road and making sure you've got a rental car and all that kind of stuff, stuff that I was aware of at Virginia Tech, but didn't necessarily follow, uh, fall to me. So, um, just trying to be as organized as you can, I, I think. Um, from a true job perspective, right? But then I also, from a forward-facing public perception thing, um, I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to be anybody else. But you definitely try to be aware of um, your voice in terms of the connection to the fans and how that represents an athletic department. I take that seriously. Um, I'm not going to do anything, hopefully, fingers crossed, that... Uh, creates a negative light to the athletic department. Um, I think we're all going to learn something here because I didn't know this. Uh, you get a rental car? <laughs> it was one of the things that I requested. And actually, so, yeah, so you talk about like behind the scenes things that um, aren't accounted for in being a play-by-play person um, at a collegiate level. Um, got a rental car for a game at Auburn uh, in part because we flew in to Montgomery, which is about an hour away and going to and from the stadium with the team would have been problematic in terms of getting the booth set up. Um, so it's something that they had in the past and I requested to continue that. Um, but one of the things that they asked was, um, Hey, can you drive around this guy that sells merchandise at the stadium for the away fans. And I said, sure. Right. So like, that's part of it too. Like, it's not like, are my charts in order? Do I have my pregame script? It's like, okay, uh, I've got the rental car and, uh, how can I help this guy, um, get to and from the stadium so he can sell merchandise and help the athletic department and spread the brand and spread Tulane and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, there's odd requests that come up that I'm happy to do because that's all part of it. And, and I, I mean, there's genuinely too, Joel. Like, I think if there are people out there that expect to just call the game, um, well, that is wonderful. And a lot of people do get to do that at certain levels, um, network levels or maybe NFL, NBA, MLB type levels. But uh, even then, I don't know. I, I think you have to take an appreciation to how an entire athletic department works and how you can serve that role in many different capacities. Um, certainly did that at Virginia Tech, whether it's emceeing events or, um, you know, going to lunch with people as part of um, auctions or whatever it happens to be, or if it's making sure that the guy that sells merchandise on road games has a vehicle to jump in to and from the stadium at Auburn. Like you have to take that all very seriously. Cause I just, I don't think the mechanics of the position, the, and to be blunt, some of the financial stability of the position uh, allow you to be this person that just, um, called games. Uh, you better know how to wear gear. Uh, you better be good at <laughs> booking travel and assisting with priorities of everybody in the athletic department. You are a cog in that wheel. Uh, and you just have to be as helpful as you can in all of it. At least that's my opinion on it. No, no. See our conversation about me diddling with after effects before we started. Doing yeah, this exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, 
you, you we've talked about it. You came from Virginia Tech. Um, you were hired in part by a friend of the show, uh, Bill Roth, when you got there originally. Sure. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> um, what uh, what did you learn from Bill, and uh, what kind of mentor uh, has he been in your life, and, and I guess who else stands out to you as people you've looked up to in this industry? Well, Bill is beyond a mentor, certainly a friend, so much so that he was uh, in my wedding back in October. So, Well, it makes uh, the party that and, much better, too. Yeah, it sure does. He's got stories to tell. Um, I think the biggest thing I probably learned from him was all of the stuff that I, I just said. That is a lot of regurgitation from Bill, sure. um, for better or for worse. Um, just the understanding and the appreciation. Um, the word gets tossed around a whole bunch. Ambassador. You're not just a broadcaster. You're an ambassador to an athletic department. Um, so I take that very seriously, and I think that's something that he certainly um, – passed on to me in terms of on air. I think I probably picked up some stylistic things from him again, for better or for worse. Um, and I mean it mostly for better. Yeah, I was uh, say, but yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a carbon <laughs> copy of somebody else though. So I'm aware of like, and eh, that was a little too bill E um, let's, let's be your own person too. Um, in terms of other people, you know, uh, you and I, Joel, we certainly know a lot of the same folks. So um, I, I don't think there's anybody at all even close to as impactful to me as Bill just because of the amount of time that we work together. Sure. And then when I met him, right? So like I started working at Tech when I was 23. So those are very impressionable years uh, for a young employee. Um, but there's been any number of people that I could call and talk to uh, at given moments, whether it's, um, you know, Tony Caridi at West Virginia, who's a Syracuse guy, whether it's a Sean McDonough, who I've periodically talked to in certain moments, uh, whether it's Paul Kennedy, who's um, a Fox Sports Florida host for the Lightning and Orlando Magic, and he's a Virginia Tech guy. I'm going to leave people off the list. And then obviously you've got, you know, your friend groups and uh, people that you can talk about it with. My cousins is someone that um, I talk to still on a fairly regular basis. So um, all of those people are ones that you can reach out to. Um, that said, what is, uh, and I always ask this question beyond the traditional like X's and O's and, you know, things we all expect to come with what we do. Um, what is next level play by play for you? Like, what is good? play-by-play beyond did you get all those things we talked about earlier you know who has the ball what are they doing with it where is it um what types of things do you like to add in are important to you uh that help elevate what you do on a day in and day out basis wow what's your answer to that question um, has anybody turned the tables on you and no. said uh <laughs> no that's what's, a, what's that's your great, philosophy that's a great one though and uh i'm a little devastated that it happened right now because i was not prepared for that to happen um you know i i think if i'm in a football sense uh and and this actually goes back to something that like harlan pointed out when we had him on a couple of months ago uh is like like to be precise in your detail and that's something i've focused on the last couple of weeks is like you're not inside the 25 yard line after you get brought down like they mark the ball like you're brought down at the 23 uh, and and knowing, you know, it's not just a throw over the middle of the field. It's a throw, 
just inside the far hash mark. Like the, like the field has demarcations, be specific, all that kind of stuff. Like I've tried to pick up on on those little details to try to elevate it, um, mm-hmm. which has bothered me when I've gone back and listened back and they're not there. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe I'm not doing as great as I had hoped in that area. <laughs> um, but that's kind of like where my mind is at right now in, in terms of that regard. Yeah, I guess those are great things and things that I shall be noting as <laughs> the two-lane green wave take on the Missouri State Bears tomorrow at 7 o'clock Central. Um, I guess for me, and candidly, I probably used that question to buy myself a couple of seconds <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm enamored with people who do probably two things. I think the people that have a voice that can carry the broadcast um, and make insignificant moments feel significant, captivated by those people. Um, first and foremost to me, Dave O'Brien comes to mind. If he's doing a Red Sox game and he says the one, one, and it could be in the middle of the fifth inning in July, I swear when I hear Dave O'Brien say the one, one, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I need to know what happens, uh, on the one, one. So I don't know that I'll ever have a voice that carries that sort of gravitas, but I think, um, the awareness of it is significant to me. And it doesn't mean you fake your voice. It just means that you elevate what you have to the best of your abilities. Um, that's one thing I'm very, very focused on how I say things, not just the words that I use, but the tone that it comes across with. Was it fluid? Uh, the word conversational gets thrown out there all the time. It's kind of a hard one to articulate, but do you feel like you connect with the fan base? Um, does it feel genuine? Um, but does it still carry that level of presence? I'm always striving for presence. Um, I think, and this would be a bill thing too. I care a lot about um, how well do we tell the big picture storylines of the mm, game? Yeah. Um, it's not just, you know, whether or not the left guard pulled effectively, although that stuff is really important or, you know, whether or not somebody is, you know, pulling their front shoulder out when they're swinging in baseball, that stuff's wrong with it. Um, but like, if you can't put it in the bigger context for people, I think you missed the point. Um, so, hitting those storylines over and over throughout the course of the broadcast in a way that is not cumbersome for people, but engaging for people, connecting with people, giving people a reason to listen, a reason to care. Like, why does this game matter? Why does this moment matter? All of that stuff in a big picture is uh, something that I strive for. And by no means um, do I consistently do a great job with it. Um, but it's something that I strive for on a fairly regular basis, regardless of the sport. Particularly, like, checking yourself in-game, I feel like, in that area, too. Like, I, I just remember, like, what comes to mind immediately for me was, for whatever reason, I did A-10 women's basketball semifinals last year, and the favorite going into the tournament was not the number one seed. It was Duquesne. They were, like, the three seed, and they got beat by Fordham, in the semis and it was like a massive blowout and when i went back and watched it afterward i was like we told the story of like duquesne faltering and not being able to live up to its expectations and i was like we really didn't do fordham the justice of sure we didn't paint the big picture of what happened on the other side we kind of went in with this preconceived notion of this was the story and we stuck with the impact sure. of that and not the other side so it's being able to have that i that that 
that uh, that ability to 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 recognize kind of what's happening outside of your blinders, if that makes sense, and, and constantly no. check yourself. No, for sure. This is quickly becoming the Bill Roth podcast, but he had <laughs> he had two ways of looking at that, um, and they certainly stuck with me. Bill would call them the top of the game notes um, type things, where like if you start getting too far into the weeds on the game notes, you've lost people. So what does it say right at the top of the game notes? Like this is a matchup between the first and second place team, and you've got to be able to. Um, hit those things. And then he, he would always go back to Brent Musburger. That was like his guy. Um, and Brett, Brett would always sell the moment. He would always sell the moment. Like, you know, look what these dookies are doing here today. They're taking down the orange. Like, how good is this freshman band or whatever the situation might be? He would always go out there and, and sell the moment and sell the significance of it. Um, so trying to do that in an efficient way is is important and you're right checking yourself throughout the course of it and like you said it's different for different broadcasters so you're doing uh cbs sports network so you need to do justice to fordham whereas if you're on the duquesne side of things maybe you find a gentle way to kind of talk about the perspective of the moment that they're going through um you know at tulane or at virginia tech i'm certainly going to take a home team perspective on right, that right. and try to keep coming back to it. Um, that's obvious stuff. But if you're not hitting the big picture or why this matters, uh, if you're not finding a creative way to connect to the fan base with stories, um, I think you're going to lose them if all you do is talk about, you know, the X's and O's or the mechanics of a game or stats or whatever. Let me uh, let me finish by kind of pulling out to 30,000 feet if I can. Um, mm. You mentioned Dave O'Brien. I have not asked you about New England yet. Uh, we've talked about where you are and where you've been, um, but sure. how did you, like, you grew up in Maine. Um, mm-hmm. who, who were your influences early in broadcasting, and who did you hear that made you say, uh, this is what I want to do? So, oddly enough, I don't think I really focused in or honed in on play-by-play until I got to Syracuse. Uh, for whatever reason, I remember sitting in those... Uh, student organizational meetings and going to Z89 and going to WAER and going to Citrus Television. And I was kind of like... That was very eh. proper, by the way, Citrus Television. Citrus TV or yeah. whatever they're calling it. It's not <laughs> the Hill anymore, right? That was a thing. Yeah, no, I was there. Uh, right. Yeah. That was... yeah. Uh, problem there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just remember going, I'm not sure about the Citrus TV thing. I think I kind of like AER. Um, so I kind of honed in on that. And then from there... Um, I started paying more and more attention to people. Um, but, you know, Sean O'Brien, uh, Sean O'Brien, uh, uh, McDonough? Uh, Sean McDonough is the one. And uh, Don Orsillo were guys that I would hear play on Red Sox broadcasts growing up. I wasn't necessarily a Red Sox fan, um, believe it or not. Um, but they were there all of the time. Um, for whatever reason, the 1996 Olympics stand out to me. Um, watching Bob Costas host that. So I suppose it's somewhat serendipitous. An eight-year-old will watch Bob Costas and eventually kind of get into it <laughs> along the way. But Sports Center was not necessarily in its heyday for me, but it was just coming on the other side of the Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen thing. But it was still a really big deal. Uh, guys like John Anderson were huge at that time. And, um, you know, I don't know if I wanted to be a sports center anchor or what necessarily, but I would just consume that stuff and say, that looks um, 
fun? Can I do that? Um, and for whatever reason, it was something that I latched onto. And then much of it became fully formed uh, once I got to Syracuse. Thus, all of the Syracuse alone um, became many of the people that I gravitated toward. You know, I appreciate that, though, because uh, I didn't know that in terms of how you came to it. Um, and everybody always says to me, they're like, like, who did you listen to when you were a child like, and that made you want to do this? And I was like, I, n- nobody. <laughs> I was like, no, I agree, right? Yeah. I was like when I was when I was 15, I like I I had an experience and I was like this would be cool and I yeah. I did it. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is this is how much thought we put into the stuff that we we can sit here and talk on a granular level about like exactly how to describe inside the 20 or just the 18, but we're not smart enough to think on a granular level about like why we do what we do. It's just like I pick that, let's do it. It's like when you were 3, <laughs> did you like debate your parents cuz you turned into a lawyer? I'm like I don't know. Like I I this is my chosen career path and I, <laughs> I, I got decent enough at it that somebody paid me. Like, I, you know. And I, I will say this too, for if, you know, if there's people listening and, um, are into this profession, um, I, I'm guessing a lot of people have come to it fairly early and been fairly passionate about it. Um, consider yourself lucky because we all know a lot of people, um, in life that, struggle to find something that on a day-to-day basis they're really engaged with. Um, I've got good friends that are great people, incredibly smart. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I like this. Or sometimes I like that. Um, I think if you're out there and you're into this and you're passionate about it, consider yourself lucky that you've got some sort of quote unquote path for yourself that you're as sure about as anything else. Cause that's, that's really hard. Um, and there's a lot of things in life that, I mean, we talk about play by play so much in here, uh, but to go even more 30,000 feet, there's a lot of things that in life that, that matter a lot more than like just, you know, your job or whether you say the 18 versus inside the 20. True. Uh, but, um, to, to feel confident and happy and content with a chosen path is not a small thing. So we all strive for, Oops, just bumped something in my office. Uh, moment of level, levity on the podcast. Um, but but we strive for big things. But but at the same time, I, I there is a nice sense of peace. And it's easy to say, right? Like I I grow frustrated with some people sometimes out there in the pro- profession that just talk about how blessed we are and like like you know we all go through grinds in our career and like yeah it's easy to say you're blessed when you're you know working. Sunday night football for NBC. (laughs) Like that's easy to do. It's hard to say you're blessed when you don't necessarily feel like you're at the point that you want to be at. Um, But if you can give yourself a moment of pause and say, you know, like I appreciate the fact that I feel so content and confident in my chosen career path. Like don't, don't thumb your nose at that because there's a lot of people that would trade you in a heartbeat. Um, that said, Andrew, uh, well put number one and, uh, number two, how do people, uh, get more of it? How do they find Andrew Allegretta, uh, on their airwaves or on their social media or, well, this, so here's like, this will be tweeted, right? So you'll tag, you'll tag my Twitter handle in it, right? Sure. (laughs) So go to that one. That's Um, that's fair. uh, (laughs) Um, You know, I always encourage people to float around, uh, the tune in app. 
especially for aspiring play-by-play people. Most oh, God, of the collegiate yeah. ones, most of the collegiate ones are um, totally free. So, you know, get the tune and app, and on a Saturday, pop open Tulane or pop open Virginia Tech or Ball State or Ohio State, and get really jealous at Paul Keels' voice. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's just kind of like that too. I asked him that question when we had him on not that long ago. Yeah. No, it, it's just, it, it is his you voice. Can do. Yeah. You, you, yeah. It, it's just his voice. Uh, some people, some people just got that voice. Uh, but um, I think it is, I know we're like done, but just to reiterate, um, you know, everyone has their own sound and I think you can maximize your own sound. You don't just have to wave the white flag and go like, oh, I don't have Paul Keels' voice. Mm. No, you, you can, you can learn and train your voice to create as much presence as possible. Uh, let's throw that in there. Uh, how have you done that? Um, practice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I I just, I I think, um, I hesitate to say this because I don't want it to come across as faking your voice, but I think there's a way sort of like an instrument to train your vocal cords to accept a wider range of notes to use a musical term. So Mm -hmm. instead of being just an alto, you can train your voice to become an alto and a tenor and a bass sort of thing. Um, You don't necessarily um, have the capability to hit all of the notes in every single octave. Uh, But if, I mean, if you just practice and you train with your voice to try being a little bit lower, trying being a little bit deeper, um, over the course of time, I think you can get it to the point where um, it just has a has a wider range and it gives you more flexibility. That way, when you hit a big call, um, you aren't going up to the <laughs> the highest C note on the staff. Um, you're going to a more middle range that's more um, comfortable. Um, and again, I say that all very cautiously because it sounds like you're starting to fake your voice. Um, right. And I don't want to insinuate that in any way possible but um you know there's there's some awkward growing phases when you kind of start working on it um because i could pull up tapes from syracuse or my first year at charleston southern and i don't sound the same as i do now and i consider that generally speaking a good thing um i miss my target and every now and then i go man you don't sound as natural as you need to sound Mm. um uh, so it's a hard deal and it's not easy all the time, but I think there's, um, I think there's some value in just understanding that your voice isn't necessarily a set collection of notes, um, that you have the ability to, to train your voice to be, um, a little bit wider in its range. Um, and if done appropriately, and I don't think I always do it appropriately, but if done appropriately, um, you can, you can create tones that I think are give a bigger presence to the broadcast, right? Like talk about O'Brien and his presence and all that kind of stuff. Um, so in, instead of talking, you know, through your throat and through your nose, all of a sudden you feel kind of the vibrations come from your chest or stuff like that. Um, I, I I think that's worth kicking around for people. Um, be careful with it because it can come across phony and fake. And if you're not aware of that, then it's a total 
waste of your time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if, um, if you can train yourself over the course of, you know, six months to a year, it's like working out, man. It's just, you're not going to jump on a treadmill and run a marathon, but you start with a half a mile, you go to a mile, you go to two and over the course of time, you can run a marathon. Uh, And again, I don't profess to have at all perfected this, but I, I do think it's, worth the effort and worth the exploration to see if you can't create a better sound with your voice than the one that you have. Um, and again, it doesn't mean your voice is bad or anything. It's just, I talk about maximizing the sound that you have, um, and being able to project your voice, to have presence, um, and create a wider, wider range of, of notes to hit. Um, it just makes it a more dynamic sound. I care about performance. Performance is important to me. Um, so, um, being able to do those things is always something that I'm working on. I haven't figured it out, but I think for anybody out there, it's worth kicking around. Well, uh, Andrew, uh, Sage, uh, Sage notes to end it on, uh, cause I know it's stuff that I've kicked around a lot, uh, in the past as well. And, uh, for better or worse has led me into <laughs> some different <laughs> yeah, directions. Yeah. No, sometimes you're, uh, sometimes you're playing a concert and all of a sudden you hit the wrong note and you go, man, oh man. <laughs> so, uh, it happens. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate you doing this. Of course. Enjoyed it. Um, happy to always be of assistance to anybody out there um, if I can be. All right. That is Andrew Allegretta joining us here on Play by Playcast. Uh, I believe the first Syracuse guy we've had in a in a while. I feel like there are spans where like we just like vomit Syracuse guests at you guys. So I, I, I apologize for that. I, I don't know. Like we're everywhere. Um, I maybe like um but they, they come in chunks so uh <laughs> good to talk to andrew uh, obviously you figured it out by by this point we we went to college together and called some games together uh back in our youths about 10 years ago um if you get the opportunity to follow andrew uh, he is very good at what he does so do check out some content from the tulane green wave as for myself uh ball state takes on the fighting lane kiffins this weekend Florida Atlantic comes to Muncie. I am most excited because they have a linebacker by the name of Delvin Belvin III. And I just want to say that as many times as possible on Saturday. He might just be in the vicinity of a tackle. He's going to get credit. Or at least I'll say he's in the area because it's a chance to say Delvin Belvin III, who, by the way, wears number 33. That's a number you won't have trouble memorizing. Delvin Belvin the third with the stop. Sounds like a butler, too. <laughs> I feel like that'd be the name of the butler in Mr. Deeds. He's also a very good linebacker. This is play-by-play cast. We're clearly out of time this week. Back in seven days. My name is Joel Gadette, and we're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.